This is Shifting Our Schools, episode 37, Education is a Journey. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Welcome back to Shifting Our Schools. As always, thanks for listening and hope you are all doing well. It is a rainy, soggy day here in Seattle. Uh, so I thought I'd take the time, seeing that I'm kind of stuck in t- inside due to the rain, uh, to get some podcasts created here. We've got a great one here for you. Uh, if my sound sounds a little bit different, I'm actually testing out a new microphone. Uh, this is the H. 2N Zoom. It's fantastic for the classroom, but it's also mobile. Um, has an SD card in it. It runs on two AA batteries. So I'm testing it out today just as a way to kind of uh, figure out if I want to use this because my idea is, is that I'm going to record sessions at upcoming conferences that I have in order to make them into podcasts. So those of you that can't be at the conferences where I happen to be presenting can still get that information. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that works. Uh, so I'm kind of testing out the new mic today and getting it all set up. Uh, a couple of those conferences I'm going to be at, if you happen to be in the Pacific Northwest, uh, the month of February is kind of a month of conferences. So um, I'm starting, I'll spend a week in Idaho at the IETA conference where I'm a fe- featured presenter and we'll be uh, doing some sessions there. Of course, the big one here in the Northwest is uh, NCCE. It's the ISTE affiliate for the Northwest region here in the States. And and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. That's here in Seattle. And then I'll finish up uh, February down in Portland at the APDX uh, 18 conference. So really looking forward to February and that. And hopefully the microphone works and I can record some sessions and be able to bring those back to you uh, as a podcast. So that's kind of what's on my list of things to do for February. I really want to say thank you again. Uh, we're just finishing up our first month of podcasting again. And in the month of January, we saw 600 downloads, which to me is is awesome. I'm loving that you're appreciating the show. Hopefully, um, you found time to listen to a couple of the different episodes as we try to mix them up between uh, some interview type things or some conversations uh, with us here, uh, with people here in, in America or the United States, along with uh, our partners globally as well. So hopefully, you're getting a little bit of both. Uh, from that standpoint. Uh, So don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions or comments, you want to hear something that we discuss, we've set up a Flipgrid for you to leave uh, your comments and questions on. And I'm so excited to announce that we now have our first sponsor of Shifting Our Schools, and that is Flipgrid. So I've been working with Flipgrid. Uh, This is the first podcast that they have sponsored uh, and they are our first sponsor. So it was really, really good. So you can hear more about that middle, about halfway through the show. You um, find a way to get a 45-day free trial of Flipgrid Classroom. And as always, you can practice by leaving us comments and questions over at sospodcast.org slash questions. Also, if you head over to the website, know that you can share any one of our podcasts. We'd love to know which one of the episodes is your favorite. You can head over to sospodcast.org. You'll find all the uh, episodes there. And if you click on an episode, we've already pre-formatted a tweet that you can just quickly 
click on a button, uh, send out a tweet uh, to your followers as well, letting them know what you like and, and that you listen as well. Uh, thank you for those of you that have bought our book, Your Connected Classroom. Uh, again, you can find that on Amazon at sospodcast.org slash YCC for Your Connected Classroom, or go to Amazon, type in Your Connected Classroom, and you'll find the book there as well. If you haven't signed up for the Eduro Learning Newsletter, head over to Eduro Learning, that's E-D-U-R-O learning.com. And if you scroll to the bottom, you can sign up for one or all three of our our uh, email series. Uh, we're sending out all kinds of great stuff uh, every week. I actually, last week I spent creating new PDFs. Uh, we Every week there's a free PDF or some kind of resource, a video or a PDF or something we've created that we give away right to your email box. So last week I wrote three new ones uh, that'll be coming out throughout the month of uh, February and March. So make sure you get over there and you are able to sign up for that newsletter. Today's episode, episode number 37, is a chance for David Carpenter, who started Shifting Our Schools podcast with me back in 2008. We had time to catch up. It was really great. You know, we've kind of stayed in contact off and on, but this is our first real like sit down and record an episode. And so we're going to catch up with what each of us have been doing, some of the changes we're seeing in education, where we believe things are going, and uh, just uh, what what he believes um, he's going to be bringing back to the Shifting Our Schools conversation. So really excited to sit down with David, and I think you're going to enjoy um, learning about our journey since 2009, where we're at, where we're and where we're going. So without further ado, on to the show. All right, well, let's get started. David Carpenter, it's been forever, my friend. Uh, it's so good to see you. Uh, and to get shifting our schools back going, uh, we've got out uh, what now? I think we've released two or three episodes of the new yeah. show. What are you thinking so far? I, I'm really enjoying them, and I, I think it was wonderful to hear your your first one. Um, now that we're in the 30s, yeah. sharing your background because it gives a lot of understanding, I think, to the listeners about what led you into education. You uh, and you were connecting to your wife and what she was sharing. But yeah. also showing that grit, that determination, mm. being a farm boy and, <laughs> and a varsity sports player. I was just going, yep, I, I can understand how Jeff had that just drive to pursue all these different areas of helping people with teaching and learning. So I thought that was really good. And I enjoyed the show from Asia <clears throat> where they were talking about how to set up a one-to-one program, but we're just given the big points, you know, doing one-to-one, you could, you could talk for hours and hours and hours, but they hit the, they hit the, the, the big ideas. And I thought that was very helpful. So a great start. Oh, good. Well, thank you. I'm, I, uh, I needed, I recorded that show that was just kind of my history as a kind of the bridge, the gap, like what happened in 2009, how did, you know, you and I were, we were trucking there every other week. And then, you know, I moved to Bangkok and you moved back to the States and time zones and life just kind of got in the way. But you know, what's crazy is those I've gone back and listened to, I think at least half of the original 30 episodes and I'm not sure much of the conversation has changed. Mm -hmm. And if you want to hear my complete story, know that's episode 31. You can go back. It's an hour and a half. I just sat down with a cup of coffee and talked. So you don't have to listen to the whole thing. But if you want to, um, it's there for you. Um, But, you know, it's just what I love about this format. There's really no time constraints. It never gets old. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But, you know, the conversations we were having back then are, are a lot of the similar conversations I think we're still having today. You know, and we might have, the, the technology has changed, you know, there were no such things as Chromebooks. I mean, in 2009, what, the iPhone had just come out? I mean, you think that we haven't ran a podcast since the iPhone came out. I mean, it's just, you know, what are some, that's just crazy to think about. So, but let's start with you. What have you, you're back in Virginia. You've been back now for how long? We've been here for eight years. Our our last stop was Morocco. Um, we thought we were potentially that was where we were going to spend a good part of our career because for all of the folks out there in the international world, the opportunity to maybe end up in a place like Morocco with the wonderful weather, the culture. Uh, Rabat is the one most people are aiming for, and they just didn't have any opening. So we ended up at another one in high school. Uh, but it, it just wasn't the right fit for our children. And they they were kind of getting to that point. They had that itch. They yeah. said, what's it like to be an American kid? One of them, you know, Sam was born in Riyadh, you know, connecting your days in Saudi. And Max was born in Panama. And so they said, let's let's go back. And so we came back. And it's been a very positive, great experience. And from that time in Morocco, they learned a lot. Their their grit meter really went high because there were some things they had to deal with yeah. uh, in school and outside of school, um, having come from Hong Kong and Taipei, where everything just ran so smoothly. Right. right. Um, so that that was a big deal. So it's it's been a good experience family-wise, but it's not been easy to come back and work in schools here, um, to go from – Hong Kong International School to Senshu International School to you know, previously Walworth Barber American International School, these cutting edge schools, and to come back and really step back in time in a lot of ways has yeah. not been easy as an instructional technologist. Yeah. Um, so I've been adapting, and uh, a year ago, I'll tell a quick story. I was working in a, a big public school uh, district at an elementary school. And we were doing our end of the year testing. And so the prep for that had been going on for six weeks. So my lab where I taught all the kids, my, the role of um, being a partner in the curriculum lessons just wasn't happening. Um, myself and the art teacher were the two people that really covered the teachers so they could have their curriculum meetings. So right, when right. everything against all the, all the, um, structure that you and I try to help schools do uh, to have that instructional technologies, that librarian, those learning specialists, that, that collaborative cohort developing what the lessons and the curriculum. So that just wouldn't happen. But I was in the parking lot because I was out in a trailer and uh, I looked up and 33 wonderful, beautiful kindergartners were walking in the rain out to me for class. I had five laptops and I was running them in because testing was taking place and five had gone bad. Oh, geez. And I stopped and I said, David, this isn't what you signed up for. Yeah. So that's that's when I kind of called a halt to it. And I you're using the term pivot. And I think that's a wonderful term in life. We hit different times to pivot. And so I pivoted after that. And I'll tell you about that in just a second. But so overall, it's been a wonderful experience. And um I've, I've been learning, but nothing like the degree I was learning overseas. Just the nature of uh, people, as I always say, willing to go to a recruitment fair or get on Skype and talk to someone and, and a few days later be signed up to get on a plane six months later. 
It's yeah. just a different mindset, and and I really miss it. And so the great news is I'm going back. So yeah. How about you? Where, where are your kids at now? Both are in college. Yeah, Sam great. is a senior. He's about to head out into the work world. He's he's always had a job on the side, so he'll be ready. <laughs> and our younger son is a physics and it looks like a math major at Virginia Tech. Oh wow! And having. Uh, just a wonderful learning journey there because he really gets physics and he, he really gets math to a pretty high degree. So he's um, being pushed, but he's also an artist and uh, he's trying to balance those two worlds. So we, we couldn't be happy. We've been very fortunate. Very cool. Very nice. So that's so good to hear. Yeah. I can't believe it's been eight years already. It's amazing how time flies, huh? It, it is. And I've followed what you all have been doing, you and Kim and the, the whole team. I know you've had different people coming, coming and going with the Aduro process and the coattails. And I'm such a instructional geek. I would go into some of your coattail blogs and read from your students, just the, the discoveries yeah. that they were coming to. Because I remember you all went to Taipei after you and Kim went in right after we left. Yeah, I think we did a cohort cohort in Taipei right after you guys left there. Yeah, yeah. So that that was really exciting for me to to hear that you all were coming in because they purchased all the technology, um, but they they hadn't done the groundwork on changing yeah. instruction and assessment styles and developing a, a, a more inquiry pr- approach that I'm sure you and Kim helped them with. Yeah. That coattail, I tell you, I don't know how Kim and I, you know, started that in 2009. That was right about the time we finished or we stopped doing the the podcast. We had launched the coattail program. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. Like those blog posts are incredible. It's just incredible thinking by educators. And I, I love watching people go on that journey. Mm-hmm. You know, it is intense. It's long. It's, you know, an 18 month program. We don't, usually hold classes in the summer. This last year, we finally ran our first summer cohort. Um, and because people said, I want to be able to finish it in a year. And we were like, well, we can try, but you have to understand like it's a full, I mean, it's full on. And so we started a cohort last June and uh, they're going to, you know, I think there's 12 people in that cohort and, you know, they're going to finish this May and it's, it's tough doing it in a year. I, I much rather like the three semester kind of thing we've got going on. So we're starting another cohort here, uh, February 10th, I believe, mm-hmm. um, will be our 10th online cohort, which is just incredible yes. for me. Plus all the ones that, you know, we did at Taipei, we did some local cohorts at Taipei because the school brought us in or uh, Yokohama International School ran a couple local cohorts, uh, New Delhi, American School New Delhi ran a couple local cohorts, South Saigon had one. I mean, we've it's just been an incredible program. Um, I'm really trying to continue to grow it. And I think what makes it so powerful, like you said, are those blog posts because people are reflecting on what they are learning and you reflect publicly, which allows everybody else to go in and be like, oh my gosh, this if this kindergarten teacher can do this, then I can do this too. Or if this high school physics teacher can do this, I can do this too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just the idea of being public with your, with your reflections, I think is a big part of that learning curve. Well, it's so practical. And that was, that's always been a theme of the, the shifting our school podcast. And then with uh, Mark, our ed tech co-op, right. taking that theory and figuring out ways to, to really make it work in the classroom and having those teachers, as you're saying, provide their voice and their experience and then, it, just as you're saying, that when others can see that, to go, okay, I'm ready to take some little steps. Yeah. And maybe I'm going to walk across the hall to Susan, who is a part of that cohort, 
and pick up some ideas from how. And, and then we get into the whole shifting process. You know, all the different if people go back and listen to some of the shows, as you're saying, it's such solid information. It, yeah. The ideas that came that come across through those uh, shows are all about change management and bringing people together and finding ways to get early adopters moving forward and getting your people more in the middle and in your laggards to find ways that they can feel, you know what, I'm a good teacher. I've yeah. got great ways that I teach, but by having these conversations and reflecting upon the process, I'm seeing that potentially technology or inquiry or finding ways to connect my kids outside of the classroom, whether it be blended learning or the flat classroom project, whatever it might be, yeah. I think I can, I can give that a go. So that, that's one of the great benefits of, of, I think, your courses, but the whole process of how we shift our schools. It's yeah. just you come at it from so many different angles. Yeah, the thing I love, I think, about the COTA program is, you know, the the fifth course is where the participants have to make a basically a 10-minute video talking about, you know, implementing all of the theory and all of the ideas throughout the entire program. What I love is we've been able to take that list, and I'll make sure it makes it into the show notes, but we have taken, like, I mean, they're all amazing, but we've taken, like, the best of the best, and we've put them on a, a Google Doc. And when we go into schools... And we start talking about the SAMR model or the TPAC model or, you know, what does deep technology integration look like? We, at some point, will say, here is a list from kindergarten to high school, from AP to IB to a resource, uh, you know, special ed teacher. And we have these 10-minute videos that are a look into the classroom. And the fascinating thing that I'm finding is teachers a lot of times will say to us, like, I just need to see what this looks like in a seventh grade math classroom. Mm. So then we show them one of these videos that is a seventh grade math classroom. And then it's like, well, I can't do that because I don't have Macs like they do. Or I can't do that because they had, you know, 21 kids in their class and I have 27 kids in my class. And that's the part to me where how do we continue to stay, you know, it's not about having the Mac. It's not about having five or six extra kids. That is more work. I'm not saying I had classrooms of 34 kids. I totally get it. But the idea there is, is it's, it's the switch in the way teaching and learning happens and isn't confined to a Mac, an iPad, a Chromebook or whatever happens to be and trying to get teachers to go there and to see that the other thing is to see like, this is the end of 18 months of learning. <laughs> I don't expect you to be here on day one of a, of a training, you know, but, um, but w- they've been pretty powerful that way of being able to show schools and teachers just, you know, what is, what is possible when you mm-hmm. actually, you know, spend some time in going deep and understanding the pedagogical foundations that need to change. If you're mm-hmm. truly going to implement this stuff correctly. You just nailed it. If you're using TPAC, it does come down to the pedagogy. And that's, and that's why I'm almost thinking listening back to the, the podcast about the one-to-one program when uh, the state of Maine so many years ago did their one-to-one program in my, at least in my reading and the whole year before they handed out the device to the students. The teachers got the devices. <clears throat> but my understanding was they were talking pedagogy and they were talking yep. about what is learning and how do we get students to deeper understanding? We use the term deeper learning now, but um, building those, well, that learning community and helping teachers, as you're saying, reflect 
uh, and helping them take those steps where hopefully you have the coaches. I don't think they used that term back then, but we use yeah. that term now. Help them see how if, when you're bringing in the technology and you're bringing uh, different assessment techniques, um, you're bringing in that content knowledge that you have, that it all can come together uh, to, to really get us where we want to go. So yeah. that, that's pretty powerful. Well, on that note, kind of shifting gears from Cotail to, let's say, your, your work in the district that you've been working with in Washington. What were some techniques that you were using there to shift? Was it So it was a whole district, so it was multiple schools? or most? Yeah, so we have there, the two big contracts we have are schools. So one's a school district of 10,000 students. We're taking about uh, 450 teachers through the training. Um, and that school district has decided that all teachers, third through 12th grade, uh, go through the trainings because that's really where they've done the one-to-one mm-hmm. as part of their one-to-one initiative. And then the other school district is about 22,000 kids and about 1,100 teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they are going through the training as well. And I think for for both those districts, um, they were they both passed levies to go one-to-one. And they knew at a very... Um, you know, from the board and the superintendent level that there needed to be some professional development around it. What we came in and said, and and one of the things we're, one of the things we're really, you know, starting to, um, I guess, drive home is that tool-based trainings will only get you so far. And by so far, I mean, very minimal into what the tool can actually do that what it really is, is understanding the pedagogical shifts that need to happen. In the one school district that we were working with, they had not updated their technology for 12 years. And so these teachers were going from, if they had a computer that worked, it was running Windows XP, <laughs> um, going to, you know, they passed the levy and then within a couple months, they all had brand new MacBook Airs. And so just the leap in technology from 12-year-old technology in the classroom, that by itself was a massive hurdle. So there had to be some just, you know, some technical stuff Mm -hmm. around that. And then with the contracts and what we do with school districts is we've actually turned down school districts who don't want the long term. Is we know through all the research that has come out, one-off PD days doesn't change culture. Um, Sending teachers away to a three-day uh, conference doesn't change culture of a school district. It is a long-term process that you have to be committed to. So we partner with school districts who I have had the opportunity or somebody in our company has had the opportunity to sit down with the school board, make sure that the school board understands what this is going to mean for you. Sitting down with the leadership team and making sure you understand what this is going to mean to you. And then signing on for a th- minimum is three-year process. And depending how, how big the school district is, it takes us that long to get through. So the one school district is going to be about seven years just because of how they're rolling out devices. I mean, 22,000 kids is just, you know, if you had the money to roll out 22,000 laptops, I don't even know if you wanted to do it, but the way levy funds come in here in the States, you know, you only get so much money every six months. And so, you know, it's very much a rollout process. And so just helping them even through like, you know, much like, like you, David, you know, we've all especially internationally, have been rolling out one-to-one programs since 2002, 2003. Right. And um, 
you talk about, you know, when you came back to the States, it felt like you were, you were going backwards a bit. And the way that I've sold that to school districts is like, we've been to the future. We know what it looks like. And we've come back to take you there. Nice. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that's, that's been kind of the, that's kind of been the, the go-to line of, you know, we've been in one-to-one since 2002, 2003. And, and we've, we've taken school districts through this. We know what this looks like. Um, and, and we can, we can help you through this as well. So, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's important to say in, in, for, for the two of us, it isn't like we're being condescending towards American public schools. They have so much more to do. So yeah, many more sure. needs, so many more, um, constraints and things that they just have to cover than these really pretty nice individual international schools. Right. And the yeah. one of the big ones, and it's just an old yeah. song we sing is the testing. You know, yeah. And, and it's, it's a, the testing is huge. Um, and, and, um, just funds are different. You know, we are, we're reliant for better or for worse here in the state of Washington. Anyways, we're relying on your community passing levies, Mm -hmm. you know, or passing some way to get you those funds to, to roll it out. And so, um, you know, one of the things I think that we bring, um, to a, to a district that they, that has seemed to go really well is we don't only just do the professional development for the teachers. So like in the one school district, the teachers have 12 days of training over three years. So we get four times a year that we get to pull them out of the classroom a full day, they get a sub and we are taking them through these trainings. We're just getting ready to finish our first cohort. um, Or we just finished our first cohort in the first district. But besides that, we also then, you know, meet with the entire administrative team twice a year to talk about, okay, what are you looking for when you go into a tech rich classroom? What do you need to be considering at the school level of the change management? What does this look like when you're running staff meetings? How are you going to change the way you run staff meetings? Because now you are now in a one-to-one school with every teacher bringing a laptop um, and helping to just, you know, play on those. And then the, the big one that we've been focused on the last year or two um, is also bringing in the parent community. Yeah. And so whenever we sign contracts with school districts, there's also, that always includes at least one, if not two parent nights a year. Um, and actually I'll, I'll put a link to one of the school districts actually brought a film crew in and, and did a cool little video from the last parent night I did. Um, and then like, you know, broke it down into kind of what were the big points to me. That's what I love about having a long-term commitment with the school district is we get to move the entire, all stakeholders. You know, we meet with the school board and talk to them, what this is going to mean for them. And then we're talking to parents on the ground on how do you, how do we support kids in learning in a digital, in a digital age? And what does that mean for you as a parent? So, and I know you're involved in that a lot too with your wife, you know, are both of our wives being counselors or are well, totally she, into that. <laughs> that and, and that's really where I'm kind of pivoting, uh, returning to counseling because I think more than ever, our jobs have always been to developmentally support our our kids to help them grow and learn. But when you're putting them into this information rich world and putting devices into their hands, yeah. um, how to guide them to I, I really because I'm, I'm just formulating my belief system on this, but helping them develop their value system and their beliefs developmentally appropriately of course, but to help them make decisions around how they use technology in school, outside of school. So that's one of the exciting things about going to um, Saigon South. They just have some very forward looking uh, thinking leaders 
yeah. who are putting together, well, they, they have guidance programs, but want to go further with it. And we use that term, like your wife, I'm sure, says all the time, the whole child. But now more than ever, how are we helping um, children be ready to use the technology effectively? And, and, and as, as we read constantly in the news now, it's being seen in many ways as a negative when we get to the, that term of addiction and things like yeah. that once we get into the middle school and high school. So it's a societal discussion, too. And with that new iGen uh, book that came out this past year, talking about just how, how really around mobile devices, phones, how that's affecting teenagers and such. Yeah. There's a lot there that we need to uh, discuss. So I'm very excited about jumping back into counseling but also yeah. wearing my instructional technology cap as a designer, helping with that curriculum development um, process. Now, I, I made a note here because I do want to come back to the parent thing because you all have uh, a parent course. And I wanted to learn more about that because I, I so think it's wonderful to have the parent nights. And then maybe um, you're working with your administrators who then do their normal parent coffees and they they are feeling hopefully more knowledgeable and they can support parents. But I really love what you all have done in putting these modules up online for parents to asynchronously develop their understanding on how they can work with their children in using technology. But before we do that, maybe if we could drill down on back to pedagogy, what, what would be a couple of your class sessions? What would they look like in helping teachers think about how they teach, not so much talking about the technology yet, but just saying, really, what am I aiming for? How am I getting there currently? Back to your reflection point. What might that look like? Yeah, I think, you know, it looks different. One of the, you know, one of the things we do is we work with school districts to figure out exactly where they are. And then we customize, you know, kind of our trainings, exactly what that district or those teachers need. But one of the things that we've really been focusing on is how do we get away from, you know, once you have, once every kid has a device in their hands, how do we get away from a summative assessment always having to be a test? Right. So one of the things we've really focused in on, and uh, just the one school district we're working with, in the three years we're with them, at least four times we take them through the design cycle. Mm-hmm. And how do we do? And and the design cycle, project-based learning, challenge-based learning, problem-based, you call it whatever you want. There is a cycle that we all go through when we want to solve a problem. And so what we have done is we, we will teach a different technology, but we will do it through the same cycle that you can use in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So in one example, we had uh, teachers make a, uh, YouTube, a YouTube mashup video when YouTube editor was still out, we're now using Adobe spark, but when YouTube editor was still there, you know, we took them through the design process of like, you know, first you need to know what the tool does. You need to have an idea. Then you need to develop a plan. Then you need to create your thing. And then we evaluate it. And we, you know, there is a formative assessment process through that entire thing. And you have a summative product at the end that is not a sit down and take a test product. And if anything, to me, that is what technology allows. It allows us to do things differently. And so we, throughout our trainings, will continue to look at those types of pieces. 
Hey listeners, hopefully you're enjoying the show so far as David and I uh, spend some time catching up. I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank today's sponsor and uh, we are so excited to have Flipgrid as our sponsor. You can find out more at flipgrid.com and uh, I have already pronounced Flipgrid the app or the website or the tool of the year for the 1718 uh, school year. It's part of the reason why I approach them. Uh, they do such great work. It is so easy for students to get started. You don't need to set up an account with kids. Kids can be under 13 years old. Uh, it, it's just it's simple. One big green button and you have students starting to record their own videos and you can set the limit and uh, it's so great as just a way to get some formative feedback to have students even do an exit ticket. So instead of writing stuff all the time, you know, they can leave a little video. It works great on your phone. Uh, so even if you're, if you're a high school teacher and you just want kids to do it on their way out, uh, very easy to do. Works on all devices um, and just a really great service. And so I'm excited that they've sponsored um, Shifting Our Schools. And as part of the sponsorship, you, for listening to Shifting Our Schools, can sign up for a 45-day free trial of Flipgrid Classroom. Now, Flipgrid Classroom is uh, their paid subscription, but you get 45 days free. And what it allows you to do is it gives you a lot more control over what you can see and what you can have kids do. Uh, totally worth signing up for at least the 40-day free trial. And I know that once you sign up and you start to incorporate it more into your uh, classroom, you're going to want to go ahead and uh, register for an account. It really is a great tool, easy to use. You can have it public or private. You can turn it on. You can turn it off. So many great features. Uh, so head over to flipgrid.com. And when you go to check out, as if you're going to purchase uh, the Flipgrid classroom, there'll be a place there for a code. And if you type in the code Eduro Learning, all one word, E-D-U-R-O Learning, all one word, uh, it'll zero it out and give you a 45-day free trial. So uh, if you use it, let us know. You know, we have this set up for our questions over at uh, Shifting Our Schools podcast website at sospodcast.org slash questions. You can practice there. And if you sign up for an account or you love using Flipgrid, we'd love to hear from you as well. So uh, again, flipgrid.com, put in the code Eduro Learning for a 45 free trial. And now back to the show. Uh, another thing we've been focusing really, uh, really hard on is the idea of visual literacy. That for the first time, you know, this generation is growing up media first, but our schools are still very much a text-based world. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing is, you know, in all the data that's coming out specifically here in the, in the U.S., around the longer kids are in school, the more disengaged they get with schooling. And what we also know is the farther you go into your schooling, the more text heavy it gets and the less visual learning becomes. So we're really focusing in on that visual literacy piece. When you are, you know, and there's a, we know so much more about how the brain works and the brain works. We are all visual learners first, mm -hmm. um, you know, based on brain research and, and this generation growing up in media, it, the amount of TV that they are watching is triple that we, that our generation watched. Um, they've got devices in front of them all the time, whether it's Snapchat or Instagram or whatever social network that they are using. All of them are media first apps as far as pictures or, or video. So there's, we have this brain in our schools that is very much drawn and engaged by media. 
And yet most teachers were raised and teach in a schooling system that was, you know, we all read the book. And then if we were a really good class, we maybe got to watch the video. Right. And all of a sudden you're teaching a generation who's being raised that the Star Wars trailer is out eight months before the video. Mm -hmm. Right. And so those kids are engaging with video and images different. And how do we use that? How do we engage? Our big essential question is how do we engage a media first brain in a text-based school? Mm, And I think there's a way to do that. I, I, you know, I still want kids to read text. I still think reading is a really important skill, but I think we have to think hard as, as educators around this idea that, yeah, I might need to show a book trailer I might need to have kids deeply look at an image and not just ask kids, oh, here's an image, what do you see? But I mean, really dissect an image on what is that, what is being thrown at you and then take that knowledge and now let's go into a text-based world and bring those two together. Um, so I think those, those two, the idea of, you know, how, how do we assess differently when every kid has a creation device in front of them? And then the idea of this media-first generation and engaging them in a new media-first learning world, I think are are probably two of the big things that we really have been focusing on in most of our trainings. And one of the things, um, and to talking about going back in time, we did a show on, um, uh, I forget, I forgot the term. It was Mark and I were interviewing. This is on the EdTech co-op podcast. We're interviewing one of his PhD candidates and she had come up with the term. It was, um, it was like a media journey assessment where the kids would produce this media product. Yeah. And I always use the term underneath the hood, though, was a lot of writing, a lot of planning, a lot of design work. Absolutely. In the term we used to use, authenticity in the product, because they're producing something for a audience. But the idea that students, if they're going to produce that media, they're going to have to use text to write out those storyboards to if there's going to be dialogue, if there's going to be speech bubbles, whatever it is. And it, it, it's a way to, we, we say kind of trick the kids who say, well, oh, I just, I'm not much of a writer, but they end up doing a lot of writing. So that's one of the coming back to teachers saying what you're doing, you're, you're doing great things in helping your kids as writers. But as you're pointing out, let's bring it into their world, yeah. this media world. They're still going to write, but they might even write more. Uh, but in the end, you're going to get so much more enthusiasm when they create this product because it's theirs, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we know from brain research, you remember and, and retain more if you are engaged in the learning process. Yes. Right. So to your point, like when, if it's something that I'm excited about and I get to create a video or a podcast or whatever it happens to be a piece of art, you know, and I'm engaged in that process, but it happens to be about World War II, I'm going to learn more and retain more about World War II because my brain is truly engaged in the process. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why we, you know, you know, the way, the reason why they redid Bloom's taxonomy is we know more about the brain that creating stuff is where stuff is, is truly embedded into the brain. How do we take kids through a creation process? You know, what does, and to your point, like the learning happens in the process, not the product. Yes. And how do we continually assess the process knowing that the product has, is, is going to be there when we get done? I had a great story. Um, one of the things we were talking about in a training 
uh, with some social studies teachers was using Google My Maps. So, you know, there's Google Maps and there's Google My Maps where kids actually get to create the maps. And it was a social studies teacher who was looking at, um, I, I don't remember what what war it was. It might've been World War II, World War I, but they were looking at the different battlefields and he had split the kids up. And of course the, the map was shared with everybody in the class, but you know, this group had to do those five battlefields. And so they actually had to put the place markers on the map. They actually had to embed video. And you know, when he said, when he started, he's like, you know, I came to the training and I thought about it and I thought, well, I'll give it a work. He really didn't think it was going to work. He, at the end of it, had the best test scores he's had in six years because he had kids creating this map of where all the war sites were and not just writing them down, taking notes, you know, they mm-hmm. actually created the map together. And then they each had to explain how one, I don't remember, it, they weren't all just battlefields, but they were like, you know, monuments and things that had happened during the war. But just his, like, from one training to the next, he came back. He's like, you're not going to believe this. They just blew the test out of the water. And I was like, why'd you still give them a test? But beside the point, right? Um, But just, I mean, there is power here when we engage this media first brain. And if nothing else, like, it's so easy, right? I mean, the YouTube Mm -hmm. videos and the way you can make videos and edit videos and bring stuff together to tell stories differently in a very visual, compelling way that is based in brain research, I think is just... It's another reason why I want every kid to have a device. Yes. And one of the things with the, uh, you were just hitting on the um, learning process. One of the things I think is happening with, um, out of Harvard and Project Zero, they've been ahead of the curve for so many years. But with uh, making thinking visible, the visible thinking uh, movement is I've noticed uh, with Jim Reese, who's, who's been very involved in, in that program for so many years, working with how do we document learning and and you just nailed it it isn't the finished product we do want that and we do want to have rubrics and we want kids to really be able to reflect and hopefully back to blooms that they are showing a lot of critical thinking and hopefully i'm a history teacher they're making connections that i had if it was me and then we were dealing with a world war or something i was trying i would try to make them have connections to what's happening to other time periods and things like that. Absolutely. Uh, but one of the big things that Jim, and this, this comes back to Mark Hofer too, is documenting that whole process. And then we get to portfolios and things like right. that and, and, and away from tests, but having kids with uh, portfolios that have really carefully developed questions that push the kids to, to really think and move beyond knowledge level that we want to ask kids questions that are going to say, well, what led you to this? How did this happen? Open-ended questions that aren't, you you can't Google it. One, it's about you. That's right. Two, it's about your uh, understanding, which we always talk about goes way beyond just knowledge level uh, learning. Absolutely. Well, let, let me ask you, because I didn't want to lose this one, and, and hopefully with your parent course, because one of the things is um, I'd, I'd want to figure out a way to get those that course, those series of classes, out to as many school districts as possible, right? You're putting on your business cap. I know you're thinking about that and you're working on it. Um, that's one. Now, did Kim, who, or Chrissy, who developed that? Who developed those courses? So the courses were really developed by Kim and Chrissy. They have spent so much time on those. Uh, and they are 
So good. Uh, they, every course is interviewing parents, uh, you know, and we have parents of kindergartners to parents of high school kids, which is always fun to see a high school kid sitting down next to their parent and their parent, you know, having these conversations about how much time do you actually play video games? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the readings that are in there, the conversations in the forums, it is such, I think a really rich, resource for for parents um no matter where you are and you know one of the nice things is 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 we give we give the courses away to any district that we sign a contract with so you know these two school districts one of 10,000 one of 22,000 every parent if they want gets access to that now trying to get that word out is really really difficult um but we're seeing some uptake within those and then you know like you said we're just trying to figure out how do we partner with school districts or what we're starting to think about is what does a partnership look like with PTA organizations? And can we come in and we're, we're trying to figure out, there's a couple things I think that are holding us up and I'd love to pick your brain on this too, is like parents, every parent already thinks they're doing a pretty good job. So no parent really wants, and I don't mean this bad, but no parent wants to be able to say like, well, I need to go take a course on being a parent. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think we're have we're struggling with calling them a course <laughs> or calling it a parenting certificate. Like, so I think there's some wording that we need to work with there. And I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, your uh, hook. You, you need a, a strong hook, right? Yeah. Something that isn't like you're gonna go take a course to become a better parent. And no parent wants to do that. Um Anyway, so we're still kind of working with that. And then also, what are some different systems we can set up with some PTA organizations? That's you know, right. whether, it, whether it is a PTA organization wants to, you know, purchase the courses and, and run their PTA through it. And we could do either Google Hangouts like this, um, you know, where we would be able to come into a PTA meeting or even to some kind of thing like we did with Cotel where, you know, we fly in. We do a face-to-face with the parent community. Mm-hmm. Then the parent community goes and takes one or two of the courses online. Uh, and then we come back in again. We debrief those two courses. You know, that there could be a, a mix of this idea of face-to-face with online learning. But I think it's still relatively new. I think, um, as far as I know, we're one of the only organizations that really has tailored this parenting in a digital age um, kind of certificate. There's six courses. They all focus on something a little bit different, whether it be social media or uh, one's called technology never sleeps. Um, there's a podcast coming out. I think, I don't know if it's this week's podcast or next week's podcast, but where we interviewed a fifth grader and she makes us play with musically. Um, and to listen to a fifth grader talk about her social network and the way she uses it with her friends is like, a inspiring, B mind blowing, yes. right? Like it's just this incredible. And so just trying to help parents understand that it's not all bad. Your kid, you know, they're doing some real, real amazing things in these places. And yes, we do need to keep them safe. And, and also understanding that they're just growing up differently than we did. And it's really, really difficult. I think the best story I have that I love to share with parents is, you know, when we, when we graduated from high school, anything that happened to us in high school kind of left, you know, we all went off to university and you stayed in touch with the three or four, you know, great friends that you wanted to stay in touch with, or, you know, the couple people that maybe went to the same university as you did, but you really got to like start over fresh and leave all that high school quote unquote drama behind. And I have a friend who just her, her daughter two years ago graduated from 
from an international school and um, went to university and struggled her entire freshman year with all of the high school drama following her into university because there is no disconnect now. They're still all friends on Facebook. They're still all friends on Instagram. And those same rules, even as a freshman, she was dealing with, well, I don't like that kid, but he's friends with her and she's my friend. So if I unfriend him, she's going to be upset. And I'm sitting here going like, you're 19 years old. You're still playing these. You know, I mean, the adult brain in me can't, but she was really, really struggling with this idea of friendships. And it's really made me think of like, wow, you know, we, we had that break because, you know, we had reunions 10 years later and your 20 year reunion, these generations, they're, I, it'll be interesting to see what a reunion looks like. Right. Right. They've been, they know everybody's lives and they're saying, you know, they all have the class of 2018 Facebook group and you get to keep up on everybody's life. If you want to, you can be there forever, you know? Um, so even just something like that, I think really shows how different their lives were to ours just because of the connections they have. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, it's that kind of stuff that I, I really am very passionate about helping parents understand kids and helping kids understand parents. <laughs> yes. And keeping what is you're saying, keeping your, your fingers on the pulse because it's just changing so quickly and it's just happening. It's just exploding around us yeah. of new ways to approach relationships and how to kind of make that life change from, as you're saying, high school to college. And what does it happen? What happens after college? We don't know because it's going to be different for this generation and such. The a couple of things that come to mind. One, I I would definitely say with the PTA, that's something I'd already been thinking about because that that is the doorway into schools and into the parent base there and the counselors um, connecting with them. And what also comes to mind is almost it would take a while, but for you all to develop like an ambassador program, of potentially I mean, your your first using design cycle, you prototype yeah. it with your coattail people as they go to all over the world, right. and then they become an ambassador, starting just with this parenting course. But it could yeah. become other things that they're your 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 eyes on the ground and your conduit to share information to get people interested, uh, and then potentially people start taking the course. And like you're saying. Offer it virtually, blended, have have small groups for parents yeah. that want to learn that way. There's so many different directions because we know there's so many directions, different ways that people learn. Um, but I, back to, to where we started and, and for me where I'm headed, I think that's probably the one of the biggest things that we as a society have to, to work on right now is and it's not just skilling because we, we talk about digital citizenship and we just you and I always just say citizenship yeah. but it's it's so far beyond citizenship right right it's helping kids develop the character traits the attitudes the dispositions that one they control the technology the technology doesn't control them right that like you were saying with that fifth grader that you can put forth scenarios in front of parents that show them the constructive nature of what the connectivity does, what the information access does, and then hugely what the creativity can do, right? So if, that if they can see these scenarios and they go, I didn't even know that, then we know, okay, we've got a little hook there. Right. And we say, how are we, we going to help you 
move your son or daughter so that they, and I use this term, develop their personal learning system where they're using this array of tools for communication, for curating of information, for having their go-to sites for tutorials, that they build out this kind of toolkit around their belt almost. You know, we've used that term. I think people use the backpack, the digital backpack, but that's still just a part of it. Right. That's coming along that the counselors, the teachers, the instructional technologists, administrators, we're all helping these children work off of what they and their families believe is important. And in life, that hasn't gone away. That if you can base your decision on your values and what your your family believes in, what your community believes in, then you're going to be in a much better position to make decisions regarding how you use technology and how you when you're with people, are you really with people? Are you present? For example, right? That's right, yeah, yeah. So I, I I I I'm looking forward to following what you all do with that. And I, I want to go, we've got some big districts around here. I want to go meet with people there on your behalf <laughs> and uh, share well, these ideas. Cause yeah. I, I feel a lot of the teacher, a lot of the parents I'm speaking broadly here do feel uh, out of touch with w- what are their tools that they would use to parent their children in these situations. And what do we all do? We go back to how we were parented. Yeah. Just as you're pointing out, these situations are very, very different. You, you still have solid beliefs that you, ways your parents taught you, but you've got to come up with new applications and new yeah. strategies, right? Yeah. And, and for better or for worse, you know, there are real, these kids have real friendships in their devices. And it's really hard for us to understand that. You know, we just didn't grow up in a time period where you were a friend because you got to go hang out at their house. And now kids don't go to each other's houses. Parents, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, there are so many social pressures on parents today. Um, There's so much pressure on kids today that kids don't physically go and hang out in places anymore. You know, this, this last holiday season, I went to the mall. Um, Not that I wanted to, (laughs) but I went to the mall and it was packed with people. And I sat down on a bench in like the big mall here south of Seattle. And I counted how many groups of, and it was during break, how many groups of just kids walking around without parent supervision, just a group of teenagers hanging out at the mall, which for my generation is something we very much did. Mm -hmm. One group of about five boys in about a 45 minute time period. You know, everybody else was either was with their parents, everybody in devices. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, those friendships for better or for worse are not happening in the same places they were when we were kids. And I just, it was one of those moments where I was like, you know, I talk about this all the time, but I want to actually see it. And I, yeah, one group, one group, great looking guys, like, you know, probably I'm going to guess like eighth graders, ninth graders, you know, they, I'd saw them twice walk in the circle of the mall. Like I used to do. Um, but they were it. They were the only group I saw that didn't have parent supervision of all age groups at the mall, you know? And to me, that was just one of those things like, yeah, you know, kids just aren't quote unquote hanging out in places anymore. And maybe the mall isn't a place you hang out anymore. I don't know. Everybody shops online at Amazon. I don't know, but, um, 
but I just like, to me, it was, that was one of those things where, you know, parents are constantly saying like, well, I just want my kid to go out and play. Well, that's fine, but nobody else's kids are going out and playing. So there's mm-hmm. nobody for your kid to go out and play with, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyways, it's just, a, it's a different time period and just trying to help everybody with that. Well, on that note, I was listening to um, one of the NPR shows in the afternoon and they had a woman from Texas and she started, she didn't plan to start it, but it's a movement now called Nat until eighth. And in her community, back to your point of maybe a family feels isolated. They want to send Susie outside to play, but there's no one out there. She made the decision that she was not going to have her child have a phone until eighth grade. Mm. And she started talking with other people and they started talking to other people. And so they formed a community around that. And I need to go to the website and follow up on it. But that's where a community came together and back to the values point said, this is something we believe in. Not saying whether it's right or wrong, but that's what they believed in. Right. Uh, And from that, they turn the tide on expectations on so many families that do feel the pressure when uh, Ahmed comes home and says, when do I get my phone? Cause I see my buddies with their phones. Exactly. So the, it, as we talked so much about in, in the previous shows, so many years ago, you come at these things in so many different ways. Uh, it, it is, it's just little prototypes and you see what works and what doesn't work. And back to your point of the work that you all do to individualize for different districts, uh, it's not going to be the same for, for every family or any group. Um, but you find that that kind of formula that works for you. And then you just keep an eye on it and you uh, sharpen the saw and um, be ready to adapt. Right. Because, yeah. back, I, I mean, you just brought so many good points just about how our world, what we're talking about right now about kids going to college what will it be like in two years? Yeah. What will be different? And you know, when we're, when we do our parent workshops and even in our online courses, I mean, the, the theme that constantly comes back to is it's having open and honest conversations with your kids. If it's all about having the conversations, you know, when I meet parents and they're like, well, they're always on their phone and I'll ask them like, well, what are they doing? Well, I don't know. Mm. Well, that's a problem. You know, they're going to be on their phones because that's where their friendships are. But it's okay for you to sit down with your child and say, hey, what's going on in in Instagram? Or show me some photos. You know, who's this? Who's this in this photo? And oh, isn't that a funny one? And, you know, not, you're not prying, but you just want to know. You know, my mom and dad used to know who my friends were because they came over to the house or I went over to their parents' house. And without that, their friendships are still there. And it's about having and, you know, starting as soon as you give the, the child a device, having those conversations of well, what do you see? How does this make you feel? Do you know that's okay? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. You know, isn't that a good thing? Just keep me in the loop. You know, you don't need to follow them. You know, there's this privacy issue that we get into. Kids want to be private. They need to break away from their parents. We're really struggling with that um, as a society as well, but keep the, con- you know, be able to have the conversation. And I think you'll find that throughout all of our parents stuff, that's what it's about. Cause like you said, the value is different for every family and that value is right for that family, but have conversations about what do we value? How do we know this is right? How does that post or that link or that comment fit with the values of our family? Mm -hmm. If you continue to have those conversations, I think we raise a great generation. And that's just, just, we were saying that's nothing new. You go back to 
yeah. counseling 101 yeah. is to have open communication and, and maybe some structural things in the households to say. And I remember back to, I think you were in Shanghai or maybe it was Bangkok when you did the screen-free, I can't remember the term. Oh, yeah, screen-free week. Screen-free week. Yeah. But it, um, and that was way ahead of its time. But it's back to the, the point that, I, like today, I was, I was talking to my doctor. And she's got a four-year-old. And she was saying that when her uh, nephews and nieces come over, they park their phones at the door. They, they cannot come in because they, to the values of that family, they're there to be present. Right. To do things. And that's what works to their family. And as a, as a counselor working with families on fa- having family meetings and coming up with your family mission statements, and then from that deriving your technology plan, what is your family technology plan? But that that's... That's nothing new to say we're going to have structures that are going to support our having conversations. Because as you and I are trying to help schools shift, you've got to have structures. You've got to have systems to to help um, the process move forward. Yeah. 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 And I think it's just helping parents understand, like, yes, there is a new device in your house, but that doesn't mean that the structures and ideas have to change. Yes. You know, you don't. You don't need to know, you're not going to know how it all works. You don't need to know how Snapchat works. You just need to know that this is a place that kids go and are our values still there, mm-hmm. right? And have those conversations for kids to do the right thing. Exactly. So, uh, and I, I know that you don't have but so much time. So one of the things I kind of wanted to, to move to, I've been going back in time again, putting my list together, sound like Santa Claus. <laughs> Of, of some wonderful guests we've had in the past and some new ones. And it will just be, as always, a logistical opportunity yeah. to connect to people all over the world to have some conversations. Um, so I'm just wondering, what are, what are a couple themes that you and Kim and Chrissy maybe have talked about that you all want to try to cover? That's a really good question. <laughs> I think, you know, uh, our kind of our, our idea with this is like where we kind of see this and I think what we already have it in uh, iTunes is like the Eduro Learning Podcast Network is we're kind of using shifting our schools to figure out what are some themes that are emerging and then how do we have podcasts that really stick to a theme? So this idea of parenting in a digital age is a theme that has come up now in probably four of our podcasts. Um that have been recorded recently. And so, you know, that's a, for us, that's a theme that's emerging that, okay, do we want to then break off and have a podcast that is just dedicated to um, parenting in a digital age? One of the things we came up with, one of the things I love to do is just have unscripted conversations. You know, like um, yesterday I had a conversation with Will Richardson, who I've not touched base with, with five years. I, with Dean Shiresky up in Canada, who I've not talked with. And they were just unscripted, like, like mm-hmm. this, like catching up, what's new to you, seeing what themes come out. And we have, so we're, I, I love doing that. I love just talking to educators on what are they doing? Where are their pressure por- points? Um, what are some things they're, they're dealing with or struggling with in their classrooms? Um, and so we're just thinking that there might be a podcast that's just like teachers telling their stories. Yes. Um, and so we're coming up with some names for that. Um, I think for shifting our schools, 
I think we want to keep it focused on where it always has been is like that organ and organizational change mm-hmm. kind of like how, you know, what schools are shifting. Um, I'm trying to get Andy Torres who was, you know, very much involved in the early years. Yeah. Um, we haven't, I haven't had him on him. So I've got, I'm trying to set up a date to get him. He's in Dubai now and he's actually going back to open a new school in, in back in China. Um, and so I was so excited to see where he's been, you know, he's a, he was a, uh, elementary principal, I think when we started shifting our schools and then he, he's now the head of a school and now he's going to open a new school, you know? So he's really done some really cool stuff as well. And and so I think, I don't know, I you know that's a really good question. And I think we're, you know, it's the early days. We're just kind of figuring this out. Do we break off different podcasts that are focused on themes mm-hmm. or is it more of a general education shifting of shifting of culture shifting of our schools shifting at a large and are all of those little are all of those little bits of the puzzle that it takes to shift mm-hmm. i don't know that's a it's a good question and i think we're kind of playing with that what are your thoughts like what are you thinking you just hit on several that that really hit home well for me and and to talk to will and dean these these thought leaders have, who have been leading us for so long what are their ideas that are percolating about what do we need to be thinking about and where do we need to be going? So often when we look forward, I'm, especially with technology, it's a cliche, but it's changing so fast that we, we almost need to jump over what we think is going to happen next in a lot of ways. Yeah. So you would talk to people like them that, that can almost see over um, what's going to happen there. And, and I guess with the Horizon Report and what they have, is, is Kim still involved with that? Um, I don't think she's done the horizon report in a couple of years. So she's dropped off that. So, so things like that. So talking to those leaders and seeing what they have to say, but you really nailed the one that I, I hold close to my heart, which I think we've done a good job on is having those conversations with teachers. Yeah. Um, but just like you, I remember when you, when we were, uh, the ed tech co-op and you were saying, Dave and Mark, there are these things called micro classes. And you're going, <laughs> yeah. oh, what are those? And that was a long time ago. And it was a long time ago. And now we're trying to start these micro credentials. And yes. you know, just, I don't know. It's, it's a fun time to play. I get, you know, it was, a, it was good, I think, talking with Will Richardson yesterday. And he was just like, are we seeing movement? Because we were both saying the same thing you and I said. You know, the conversation really hasn't changed. Yes. You know, people ask me quite often they're like, you know, well, what, what new material do you have? And I'm like, I don't have anything new. I'm still trying to get people to do the old material. (laughs) You know, it's not material. It's, it's a way of thinking. And, you know, are we seeing movement? I, I think we are. Um, I hope we are. I think the price of the price of devices has come down to, I think we're very, you know, we said this on the podcast back in 2008, 2009 internationally was there was very much very I think by 2009, I think I said in one of the podcasts, I went back and listened to it, was, you know, there's going to be a line in the sand between those international schools that went one-to-one and those that didn't. Yes. You know, and there there was really a line that was drawn and, you know, and the schools started to really roll out one-to-one because that's where they were. And I think we're now seeing that in different parts of America. I mean, there are, there are you know, there's Maine who went one-to-one years ago now, you know, and even places like Iowa, North Dakota, where at the state level, there's really a push to do this. Um, You know, here in my state of Washington, I think the line is going to be drawn here in another three, four years where you're either, you either went one-to-one, 
before 2020, or you're now trying to play catch up and it's going to be, it's going to be a struggle for those, you know, when, when I'm a parent and I'm going to say, okay, am I buying a house in that school district or that school district? And which one is going to best prepare me for prepare my child for the future? I think it could be, you know, there's some, there's, there's, there's issues there for school districts if they don't understand what this is. Um, so I, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I hope we're moving. I hope we're moving. Well, it, it was, I remember when, um, I can't remember what the email was between you, Mark and myself when, when I was, maybe it was, I can't remember what it was. It was about a year ago. And I said, well, I think I'm falling behind in instructional technology because I used to be right at the tip of the sword and cutting yeah. edge. We ran a virtual school for elementary school and we were doing uh, daily news. This was 2002 and kids were doing TED's, TED Talks. We didn't know yeah. what they weren't. We didn't know what they were back then, but that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> TED Talks guys, before they were TED Talks. Right. With guys like Mike Lambert. Um, yeah. and, and man, if Mike ever listens to this podcast, we are <laughs> on there's a little history there. When we started the, the podcast, Mike was one of the, I, I said, Mike, you've got to join us, but I couldn't corral him. Uh, <laughs> about a creative man who, because he taught Sam um, and I've emailed him like every three years to say, you have developed, you helped develop in my son, this incredible ability to be a critical thinker, to make connections to pause and reflect all these dispositions because he was having kids just do research on, okay, you're interested in that. Go over the computers, do it. Yeah. Then put a presentation and you're going to publicly speak. You're going to get, and we didn't, we didn't call them Ted talks and we videotaped some, some we didn't. Um, but I thought I was behind. And then I emailed you all. And I think Mark said, it's, it's a recycling program. We're recycling. Yeah. I thought that really nailed it. And then yeah. you were saying, I'm really not doing anything that new because in, in a lot of ways, what we're saying, what we had are attitudes and their belief, as you're saying, beliefs and the technology is going to keep changing, right. but it's that mindset that we have to just keep pushing the kids to say, you're in charge of this kiddos, not us. You can't be right. passive learners. Yeah. I'm trying to go back. I'm thinking all the way back to that, that term of you and you were using it, getting schooled. Remember, um, I can't remember the, the blogger who was so good at that, called it, we need to unschool our schools. Yeah. Um, but there's pushback with that, as we know with kids to say, and we talked about this on one of the shows, that we almost beat the, the curiosity, the desire to learn out of them by the time they're reaching middle school. And then a system that's measuring them on multiple choice answers as opposed to show me what you know and you have control over how you show me. Yeah, and I think now, you know, with the research that's coming out again at the national level, and I'll make sure to put it in the show notes, but the idea that it was very fascinating because, you know, the research came out and showed that I think it's something like only 32% of high school kids say that they're engaged in the learning process, which means there's like 70% of kids that say that school doesn't engage them. I had a local school district here who took the exact same questions and gave it to their and then school district of about, oh, they must be about 18,000, 20,000 kids. And they gave it to all their high school kids and it almost lined up exactly with what the national average was like, they were right on average where, you know, by the seniors, the seniors are like, no, I'm here because a, I I'm supposed, I have to be right. It's law that I'm here. B I'm 
freaking bored out of my mind, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and they were looking at the same thing, like how, where, where do we, you know, school kids yes. into just, you know, plain school and not mm-hmm. thinking anymore, not being those critical thinkers. And how do we bring that back? And where, you know, to me that, and it's not a tech issue. Tech, tech helps with that, but there's just, there's something, there's something in the system that we have to think about. Um, what does that mean? And I think, you know, it even hits home for me being here in Seattle now, and you've probably heard about just what's happening here in Seattle as a city with the growth of the tech industry here. I had two friends who were human resources at Amazon and what it takes to get hired at Amazon. The degree is like, yeah, you have to know your stuff, but that's not why Amazon hires you. You know, it's two days of, it's two days of interviewing and you're interviewed by multiple different teams and multiple different people because they want to know if you're a fit culturally. Mm -hmm. Can you think, can you analyze, can you apply, can you, you know, can you get along with others? All those soft skills, you know, that we talk about that are so important. That's what they're looking for. Sure. You're an engineer, you're a coder, you're a marketing person, you're a photographer to take pictures. Like, fine, you've got the skill set, but are you a fit in those other ways? And that's the part that I, you know, that we've always said that like pushing into this testing thing, we're losing those, those, that stuff. Yes. Very much. Yeah. Anyway, well, my friend, it was great catching up with you. I'm sure this is, I'm so glad we're back doing this. It's so good to just sit and, and chat with you. Me um, too. I've taken some notes real quick here that I'll put into the, uh, into the uh, show notes as well. But if you want to send me any links that you might have that you want to put into the show notes, the show will be going out sometime in the first part of February. Um, so please send those my way and uh, always great. Carpenter back on shifting our schools. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I'm looking forward to the journey that we're 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 back to together with a much larger group. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do want to share that my theme is going to be this. Well, you just hit on, hit on it right there. This preparation of helping students have the grit, the perseverance, the overcoming obstacles, the the desire to. Be creative, to be in charge, to um, be their own learner. It just sounds like such basic stuff. I love it. But that's a big part of it. But I'm also, when I get to Saigon South, I'm really looking forward to, because uh, it's a very shifted school, sitting down with teachers and just as you were saying, having conversations about what teaching and learning looks like in their classroom. So bringing those back to the coattail, kind of those blogs where people are, are were sharing of their learning, but to have these uh, pr- probably little, little short ones, not too long, but uh, have that offering for people to uh, connect to as well. So I'm excited about that. And, and one thing, Jeff, I was a, a pain in the rear always to, to say, we need to have a tagline <laughs> and it can change. And I, and when, um, we were doing the EdTech co-op each show. I would try to figure out what were we talking about and what could the tagline be? Yeah. Uh, Cause we, we often use it's not about technology. It's about teaching and learning. And, and that is, I emailed you a couple of years ago. I'm seeing that more and more. Right. People are realizing that, but that's something um, for folks to think about. But so maybe this show is it, it's a journey and you can step away from people you worked with in the past, but you can come back together and create and make great things happen. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, my friend, I'm going to uh, click stop on the recording here and uh, 
We'll see everybody next time on Shifting Our Schools. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.